Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Christy. Catherine. Hi. Hey, it looks like your house is for sale. <laughs> I, I sent you the listing. My house is for sale. <laughs> Catherine's moving. It's sold by the time. Oh, Talk yeah. Four days from now. It will be. It'll be sold by the end of the day tomorrow. Yeah. They, like I even came and took the pictures was like, this is a great house. So, yeah. Nice. I bet you go over asking. You don't have to do any inspections, maybe cash. I love that. Um, I would love that. So, but it's, I'm kind of getting freaked out. I'm, I've decided I'm going to, so people don't know, because I've been alluding to this, I'm moving to Washington state because my brother and sister-in-law live there and they're going to probably be there for four more years. And I also, the company I work for, Live Feisty Media is out of um, Victoria, Canada. So it's just a ferry ride. And I've always wanted to live out there. So I'm just, I'm just doing it. I'm like, so yeah. I'm, I'm doing it. But I am going to road trip across the country and check out some things for something that I have in mind for Girls Come Gravel in 2022 and then also an event for Love Feisty. So I'll be in Colorado. I'm looking at going through like the Tetons and some other places. Oh, awesome. Yeah. To ride gravel. I'm in terrible shape right now from getting my house on the market. But let me know. Um, that'll probably be mid-June that we'll head out. Nice. So you've been busy busy <clears throat> event weekend coming up i know and you were saying before the podcast started because leland left leland's He's with this with our convention and visitors bureau now. Reason. yes yeah 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 and then you lost the other race director last year yep. so you've lost like the entire og group except for you yeah i mean treva's with us still and she's been with us for probably four years now i think but yeah that that the brain wealth is all right here right now. So, um, and you know, we're all a little, to be honest, we're all a little rusty. Um, we haven't done an event for a year. Um, and you have you to know. do it differently than it's ever. Yeah. Been. We have to do it differently because we still have COVID stuff going on. And the, I mean, the truth is, is just like, there's all these little incidents that pop up because of the COVID stuff. Like, you know, we had the deferral, we had the, 
um, postponement of the event and then we had the cancellation. So there was all this stuff that kind of went around registrations with that. And, you know, people in the meantime have changed emails and we're just like, it's, there's just a lot of little things. They're not bad. It's going to be a great event, but just trying to do our very, very best to have it be the very, very best. Um, I think we're probably all stressing out a little bit more than we, than we need to, but it's, it's going to be amazing. So, um, and on top of that, the CDC keeps changing the guidelines. Yeah. They change their guidelines all the time. So, <clears throat> which I am grateful that, you know, if I had any insight, I really asked our team and the city to postpone us making like this decision, you know, for as late as we could. Um, and because we did that, we were able to really kind of relax a few things that that were being required. The big, the biggest bummer is, you know, we had to move the 2550 juniors race to Friday and it just kind of stinks, but um, it's still going to be good. Don't get me wrong. It just, you know, when you look back at it, you're like, well, we probably didn't need to do that. And we did it and, you know, we can't change it now. So, um, but the expo is looking great. Um, we've got a great lineup of athletes coming um, both pro and just, just good humans coming out to enjoy getting back together on the gravel. So um, the community seems stoked for it. I think everybody's going to be. Yeah. We're doing a live podcast recording. Yeah. Friday at one and we're going to be out. Well, I got to make sure that's okay, but yeah. <laughs> we're doing a live podcast recording Friday at one. It may not okay. actually go live. It's all going to depend on the technology. It, it'll be good. We'll, we'll record it from Kansas. Yes. You may or may not be able to watch it it's going to be um, so fun meeting you. Oh my God, I'm going to meet you. I know. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Are you flat in person? Yeah. You're all... <laughs> are you 2D or are you 3D? <laughs> so... Flat. You're not going to know what to do without a like, cat's butt. Like, I, yeah, about... your cat butt's not going to be there. And, and, you know, I'm not understanding both how tall you and Claire actually are. So I'm sure that I'm going to feel like such a shorty um, when I meet you guys, but that's all right. Tell me she was the same height as me after the last podcast recording when I said she's six foot, but she's not the same height as me. She's taller than me. So, and I know for sure how tall I am. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not taller than you. So anyway. So I went out to gravel today though. And Good. I... I have not ridden for a while because I've been getting the house on the market and I, I pulled a total newbie, <laughs> a combination of a tech king and a newbie. I did not break my collarbone, but, um, I, uh, well, first of all, I get to this point and I'm like, I think I might loop back around this way. And this guy on a tractor stops me and he goes, um, are you lost? Which this is the route that I've ridden probably 50 times. Cause there's, it's the closest one to Atlanta. And I was like, no, I'm just looking if this road goes to where, if I come back, this offshoot road goes to where I think it goes. And he goes, well, if you go that way, it's really hard, which is the route. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he's like, I mean, you're, it's going to be really hard. <laughs> I, was like, I know I've written it. <laughs> so it was really funny. Cause I did get the route mansplained to me by a guy on a tractor. Oh God. But then I stopped to make a video about us coming to Unbound. And I was like, why is my shoe not clipping back in? This is weird. 
And I looked down and one of the screws had come out of my cleat and it, it was just like dangling, just dangling. So um, I found the hardware, which was Ted King. Apparently he's famous for finding hardware when he loses it. Um, and I was like, okay, this is no problem. I always have a multi-tool because I, um, my, my tires come off with a multi-tool tool. I have no idea where that multi-tool is. Oh, dang it. Yeah. It could have been donated. It could be in my kicker box. I have no idea where it is. So I found a stick and put it back on with a stick. <laughs> but it wasn't like, you know how it'll go back and forth? Yeah, yeah. It's not really on. Yeah. And I was, so it was on. I always clip out on my right side. It was oh, on no. my right side. And so I was like, okay, I need to reroute myself back because there's quite a bit of climbing on the back end and like you hit a pretty steep grade and I just like you don't have enough torque when you're right your clip is going back and forth and I was afraid it was just going to completely come off so anyway I rerouted myself back and it was a lot hotter today than I thought and it was I hit a really strong headwind (laughs) so always being a prepared person that I am I had taken my two bottles of water and I went through my first one already because I'm a sweater, went to grab my second one, took a sip and I was like, oh no, this was a bottle that I obviously left something in to sit too long and it's like rancid. Oh no. I washed it and everything, but it's like something. So yeah, it still was south. <laughs> so I couldn't drink any, I couldn't oh. drink a bottle and I had about, I mean, I was like still about 45 minutes away which also meant I couldn't eat because I had all I had was an RX bar and you cannot eat that without can't eat that with yeah so I'm a gravel pike newbie I did the same thing to myself this weekend too so I don't feel bad about it I just well I went out and it was just feeling good so I just kept going and then I bonked when I had about 10 miles left oh that's the worst because you're like I I really can't make it back no I I mean and I did but it was like you're just and it you feel like you're drunk the rest of the day. It was pretty bad. And I got into town and literally stopped at the Casey's that was 3.2 miles from my house <laughs> to get something. Cause my blood sugar was just in the toilet. I was like, you dumbass. So yeah. anyway, yeah, this route, but, like, normally I would like see on a weekend, there would be tons of cyclists, but today's a Thursday and I, we, I have a conference all weekend. So I took some time off and Nobody, just me. (laughs) Well, luckily, um, our guest today is more than prepared. (laughs) She is very prepared. Yep. We talked with uh, Shana Palace, who is on her way to Unbound Gravel, um, coming from Florida, and has been working her tail off getting ready for the event. So, (laughs) yeah, she's been working her ass off. So, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a really great conversation. It gets a little heavy. Uh, she is the first Native American professional cyclist. Uh, she's a road cyclist, but does gravel. And she talks about some of the initiatives that she's working on. And um, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. It made me really mad. So and I think that everybody else will too. And I hope that um, everybody helps uh, spread the word. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll get to our interview with Shana Palace. Christy, do you know one thing that I'm really sick of? What is that? All the freaking trends and that are coming out in wellness. Like, eat this, uh, avoid that. 
I don't even yeah. know where to start. I, yeah, I don't know where to start. I don't know who to trust. Yeah, but we have a new sponsor that I'm pretty excited about. Have you have you yes. done? Yeah, I'm so stoked. Yeah. So Inside Tracker is our new sponsor, and they're going to cut through all the noise, and they're going to analyze our blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers, and then we get personalized, science-backed, trackable action plans for how we should eat, age, we need that, and perform better. I know. I'm excited. It's The cool thing about it is it's, it's cheaper, and it's way more convenient than the traditional blood tests. Um, they include biomarkers that are key to performance. So, so information that we're not getting from traditional blood tests. Um, and I think my favorite part is that they're not just going to give us the data, but they're providing us with nutrition and lifestyle tips to help us take action and cut through the noise. Yes. I love that. Cause I feel like whenever I go to the doctor and I get blood tests, I have no idea what to do with them. Right. Exactly. Yep. And I don't, they don't apply to like whatever I'm doing. Um, and the good news is because they are a sponsor of the podcast, all of you all get 25% off their entire store. You just go yes. to insidetracker.com slash girls gone gravel. Change is an inside job. Start on the inside. Hi, Catherine. Hello, Christy. Your house is looking oh so clean. I know. You're gonna be so sad that there are no pets on this podcast today. Well, there are parents. That's a, that's a, that'll be good. So I know but, um, barking. <laughs> we have um, Shana Paulus with us today, and I'm super stoked for so many reasons. But um, anyway, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited for uh, the big race coming up <laughs> in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm probably even more excited. I'm ready to have people back in Emporia. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Bella News article came out today. There are a lot of people coming to Emporia. So, a lot of people racing that race. <laughs> I saw that too. A lot of big names too, which makes it even more exciting. <laughs> yeah. So we want to ask you all about that, uh, Shana. But at first, I want you to tell us a little bit about your story and how you got yeah. into cycling. Oh, so my journey with cycling goes pretty way back. Um, I really got into cycling probably around the same time I started walking. Um, yeah, I think I was four years old when I did my first ever cross country mountain bike race, um, which I actually remember to this day, like I have some vivid memories of that particular day. I, I took, I remember taking the win and I remember being interviewed by a local news crew. So, um, wait, how many other four-year-olds were in this race? I don't remember. I know it was some sort of like local uh like it was a local mountain bike race going on in florida oh i was born in fort walton beach florida so somewhere around there and there were there were like maybe a, at least a few other toddler kids in the race but that is impressive i do remember it to this day <laughs> pretty vividly so um yeah that's where my racing journey kind of all began and i mean even before that i mean i i, I remember what my first bike was it was like a tiny little like tricycle purple and yellow plastic bike I think it was and I just remember like riding up and down the street in our neighborhood where we were at the time in Florida um yeah I think I actually went off training wheels around the time I was two <laughs> so yeah it all started very very early in life um but aside from cycling I mean 
I did a lot of other sports. I did everything from gymnastics to soccer, um, t-ball, track and field, swim team, volleyball, basketball, cross country running, um, triathlons. I actually dabbled a little bit in horseback riding for a few years as well. Um, so yeah, I've done so many different kinds of sports. Um, it wasn't really until I would say about halfway through high school. So the second half of high school where I really just kind of started prioritizing only cycling, um, particularly mountain biking through the, um, NorCal high school mountain bike league, or in other words, the NICA league. So that's where it really, um, really, really started to begin for me, at least in a competitive sense. That's kind of where, or when I, uh, kind of figured out cycling was what I enjoyed over all the other sports that I'd had done growing up. Um, and what I also found that I was kind of excelling in the most compared to all the other sports, even triathlons, because I had been competing pretty at a pretty high level in triathlons too, like through middle school, um, through high school as well, especially early high school, um, through the, um, I did a lot of USA, USA triathlons um, in the junior category. And then I also did uh, a lot of Xterra triathlon or mountain bike triathlon races. So that was actually one of my favorite things um, to do growing up was doing Xterra mountain bike triathlons. Um, but yeah, so junior year, uh, junior year of high school, I um, pretty much quit the track team because I had, I had been on the track and field team in high school, freshman and sophomore year. And then um, just decided to put that aside uh, going into my junior year because Unfortunately, um, track and field, the season coincides with the high school mountain bike season. And so I kind of came to a point where I had to choose one or the other. Um, I had kind of juggled both in the previous two years of high school, but um, yeah, going into junior year, that's when I really just wanted to hone in on mountain biking only and not have to worry about running at the same time. But I did continue to do cross country in the fall, cross country running. So that's something I did do all, all through high school um, along with the cycling. Um, so yeah, that's where I really started to get really competitive. Um, going from high school to college, I joined the UCLA collegiate or inner intercollegiate cycling team, um, and competed with them on the mountain bike side, on the road side. I don't think, I think I did some cross, but we didn't have a collegiate cross team. I just did a little bit of the SoCal like local cross series races. So I have done a little bit of cyclocross as well, but um, I haven't really done a whole lot outside of just a few races here and there locally back in LA when I was living there and going to school. Um, but yeah, so started out as a mountain biker. Um, pretty much after graduating high school, um, I kind of categoried out of the junior category and into the U23 category, or I guess U23 slash elites. Uh, so in the US, I, I did a lot of the US mountain bike or US cup mountain bike races, that whole series. And um, pretty much as a U23, you're pretty much racing with the elites also. So it's not like its own separate category aside racing from nationals. So for all the pro XCTs, all the US cups, I was pretty much as a U23 racing professionally. Um, and I guess kind of backstepping a little bit, um, in, in high school, I feel like one of the main reasons why I was able to kind of level up the way I did through the ranks and get to that U23 elite pro level, I would say a lot of it had to do with just 
doing all of those um, Narca High School mountain bike league races and just, you know, consistently doing well in those. And I was also super fortunate enough to have raced in the varsity level um, freshman through senior year, which I know not a lot of high school athletes have done and or were able to do. So I was really fortunate to have been able to do that. And just, you know, racing, racing both locally and in the high school level, um, in the varsity level and, you know, racing consistently, doing well consistently. I also won state championships a couple times in high school. I think it was sophomore and junior year. Um, so yeah, just doing well in the high school level, I feel like that really helped get my name out there into the cycling world and like kind of helped get my name out there with USA Cycling as well and kind of led to me being invited to a couple of USA Cycling camps. Um, you know, like skills camps, talent ID camps, which a couple of uh, a couple of camps actually took place over in Europe in 2011 and 2012. So that was like a big stepping stone for me was just doing all those high school races and definitely like where it all started in terms of getting my name out there and kind of getting my foot in the door with ESA cycling. So very, very fortunate for those those early, early high school races and yeah, just local races and all that. Um, so yeah, and then moving forward a little bit, um, I primarily focused on mountain biking through college, aside from, you know, the road racing in the spring. Um, but I pretty much all through college, I just considered myself a mountain biker. Um, it wasn't until I would say 2017 was when I actually made the switch from focusing on mountain biking to primarily road racing. And I kind of wanted to, to change my focus of disciplines a little bit, just because my brother, um, he was actually one of the main influences. He made the same switch from being a primarily a mountain biker to a road, a road racer um, a couple of years before I made that same switch. And, you know, seeing him kind of transition over and having, having a bunch of success on the road and, you know, seeing the whole teamwork aspect from, you know, watching his races, watching other people's races, watching women's races, um, especially over a lot of the races happening over in Europe kind of just was a couple of the reasons that prompted me to, to try the, the new discipline of road. Um, cause I had done road racing in the past, but not, not as much as mountain biking. And even to this day, I would still consider mountain biking my first love. I mean, for me, that's where it all began, but road racing, I mean, it was just something kind of newer to me and it was something I wanted to kind of switch focus on, um, or two back in, yeah, after I graduated college. So yeah, I mean, I just wanted to try something new and um, ever since switching, I mean, I have no regrets. I, I love racing on the road. I love the teamwork aspect. Um, just so much about it. I love the time trialing. I love, you know, circuit racing, crit racing, road racing, pretty much every aspect of it. I just, I really love. Um, but I feel like one of the things I do love the most is the teamwork aspect of it, you know going in with like a team goal, everyone kind of has their role for all, all, like every single race that you do together. Um, so it's just like that very, like, I don't know, just that teamwork aspect I love about it so much. Um, so yeah, every now and then I will do a mountain bike race, but it's been a while. It's been probably a couple <laughs> of years since I've done a mountain bike race, but yeah, to this, for at least since 2017, um, it's pretty much just been all about road racing. And then most recently, I guess, starting last year, Swift racing as well. So virtual racing, um, that's another really new thing for, 
for myself as well as the rest of my team. Um, it's been something that I feel like we are still kind of learning about <laughs> just because there is so much to Zwift racing that is so different from riding and racing in real life um, for a number of a number of reasons. But um, yeah, that's kind of a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's been but, interesting um, to watch that grow though. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, cause it literally came out of COVID. Yeah, I feel like it, I mean, Zwift did exist before COVID. Sure a couple years before I think it started back in 2016 or 2017 so but I mean I didn't even know anything about Swift until I guess like the year before last but then I feel like it really did take off last year like the whole platform just like exploded throughout last year because of COVID because I mean hardly hardly any in real life racing going on so I mean that's a huge part of the reason why our team decided to focus so much on it last year was just because you know, we were seeing all these road races just disappear left and right. And I mean, it was really hard at first early on in the season because we didn't really, we didn't have a lot going on and it's kind of hard to, you know, keep up with your, your structured training when you don't exactly have any in real life events going on. So yeah, the fact that we were able to, to have Zwift and, you know, have like a full, literally like a full season of Zwift races on the calendar really, I think helps with our our motivation. And I just feel like it was a really healthy thing for both myself and like the whole team, just, you know, having those races to keep us going. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a big thing. I mean, it's still a big thing for us this year, along with the gravel, which is another thing that's very new for myself and uh, other people on my team. And it's, it's been really fun. I mean, I feel like having the, the mountain bike background that I have, um, it's kind of a good crossover going into the gravel scene and I've been loving it so far. <laughs> I think that's going to serve you well at Unbound. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I've not been doing badly in the gravel. Uh, you've been racing some races in the Southeast and doing pretty well at them. Like, top of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those races have been so much fun. I mean, I think it, the, the last one, a couple weeks ago, the one, the pinnacle, uh, what's it called? The pressure for yeah. that. Because you went up a hill for 12 miles to start? Oh yeah, it was, it was crazy amount. It was a crazy amount of climbing. I mean, but I mean, I love that race is too loose. Oh yeah. 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 That was, said it was the hardest thing she's ever done. <laughs> it was honestly a really hard course. I mean, the climbing and then also the descending, I think the, de the descending was pretty sketchy at certain points. Like, yeah. It wasn't well, like, not known for being like, it's more of a mountain biker area. Yeah. Like there were a good amount of like large rocks, like even some boulders here and there where you kind of had to, you had to keep an eye out for, but um, yeah, overall it, it was a really, it was a tough course, but I saw George Hankappy out there, which was pretty cool. He was racing with his son. Um, yeah. And my teammate was there as well. Natalia, who's also going to be at Unbound. So she, she's been doing those races as well. And it's, it's always fun having teammates. How did you get, this is going back to like the very beginning, but how did you get from Florida to California? So my dad, he was in the air force for 20 years. Okay. Um, he worked as a plane mechanic. And also he, he trained guys for special ops. So he was in charge of like a lot of the physical training for guys going into special ops. <laughs> Um, so he, he was stationed at Eglin Air Force Base. We were all stationed at Eglin Air Force Base. Um, and that's where I was born, my brother and I. 
and we lived there up until I was four. And then he got restationed over to Beale Air Force Base, which is um, an Air Force Base pretty, pretty close to Sacramento, California, maybe like an hour outside of Sacramento. So that's how we transitioned from one side of the country to the other. Pretty big move. But it's funny because I'm actually I'm actually back in Florida now in Jacksonville. So it's like one side of the country to the other. And now I'm back. <laughs> yeah. And I think I read, so your dad trained special forces, which that's part of this like crazy gene for fitness. But did I read that your mom's an Olympian? Yeah, she actually competed for Guam in the 92 Barcelona Olympics for the marathon um, for running, running. So she, she was a runner um, all throughout her childhood years, like all the way up until um, I want to say like her, her late twenties. Um, so yeah, she did compete at the elite level for years. I forget how many years, but um, she was always a distance runner, not a sprinter, <laughs> always a super long distance runner. Um, she also competed in like, she, she did track and field. And then she also did cross country, like pretty much all through high school, college. Um, I think she even, I, I forget how many records she set, but she's, she set quite a lot of records, like both at the high school and the collegiate level. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cool because not a lot of people know that she actually went to the Olympics. So I do try and, and, and share her story to whoever I can because yeah, it's, it's a cool story. And that's actually where my, my mom and dad met was um, in Guam. Um, at the Olympics? <laughs> in Guam, who she was representing at the Olympics. Yeah. At the time. And so my dad was actually stationed in Guam um, for the Air Force before he ended up being restationed uh, to Florida which is where I was born. So my mom, she's actually from California, but she ended up in Guam. Uh, I forget how many years she was living there, but she just wanted to, you know, get away. Like she had a lot of friends that lived in Guam and um, she lived and worked there for such a long time. I forget what all she did. She did a lot of different things. And she also did a lot of um, triathlons there as well. She, she was pretty big into, into triathlons for a minute um, aside from running, but running was always her primary sport. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. So it comes up when you Google her. <laughs> Stalker. <laughs> All preparation. So my dad, he was into triathlons as well. And, um, specifically Ironman triathlons. So that was his thing actually, um, back in the day was, he was really into Ironman triathlons. I think he's done like 15 Ironmans or so. And he competed in the Ironman World Championships in Kona. I forget how many times, but yeah, he's he's done his fair share of traveling, just competing in Ironman triathlons. So both of my parents do have that triathlon background and um, was a huge reason why both my, my brother and I did triathlons as kids growing up as well. I was yeah. gonna say, no wonder you were riding a bike before you could walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was yeah, little, yeah, the jeans. <laughs> a little bit of influence there. <laughs> and how are you the youngest then? No, my brother's younger. He's okay. Like two and a half years younger than me. And he he rides for EF currently. So oh, nice. he's actually based in Girona, Spain, um, where he does most He won't of be them. unbound with their contingency. No, though I feel like he would be good at gravel racing if you Oh yeah. Yeah. That would be super fun to have you both here one time. 
I know. I'll try and convince him sometime in the future to, to hop in. One yeah. of there's not a pandemic that's making travel to Europe hard. Yeah. Uh, so you're on Team 2024, uh, which we interviewed Nicola Cramner a few weeks ago, and she was actually raving about you. Do you want to? Do you have Olympic aspirations? Are you hoping to go as well? Um, I would love to go. Um, hopefully, 2024. Um, which I guess, if you look at it, that's really only like three years from now. Um, being yeah. 21, which is kind of crazy, but yeah, I would really love to go to, to Paris in, in 2024, either for for track or on the road. Um, we'll see, but. I mean, I, I have dabbled a little bit in track in the past. I've actually never raced on the track, but I've been to a few uh, USA cycling camps in Colorado Springs in the past. And um, I think my first one being back in 2018. And the track is actually a discipline that I, I really enjoy. I really love. And um, I just love like, you know, the, the fast pace of it all. And, you know, the, the adrenaline that's involved with it and the punchiness. And I feel like also like with me having that mountain bike background I feel like you know mountain biking is also kind of punchy and fast paced the whole time mm -hmm. you know especially for those the Olympic distance cross-country races so having that background I feel like it's, it's a nice crossover going onto the track um but yeah I mean I I really love track um I would love to get invited to go back to another camp in the future um maybe after this this next coming Olympics at some point so we'll see I mean for team pursuit I would I'd I would probably want to go for team pursuit. I feel like it's just like a, it's like a good all around endurance event for the track. I mean, I say endurance, but really the team pursuit is really, it's like a four to five minute race, but on the track, it is considered an endurance event. Um, but when we went, or when I went to those camps in the past, that's kind of what the camps were centered on was for the uh, team pursuit event on the track. So yeah, it's an event that, I love watching and, um, you know, the practice that I was able to get in during those camps and, um, you know, writing, writing in that fast pace line, working on, um, working on passing, working on, you know, switching off the front, going to the back. It was super fun. And yeah, hopefully I get another opportunity to do another camp in the future because it would be an honor to, to make the team for 2024. <laughs> I think you will. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I would love to, that's one of the goals. So both you um, and Natalia are coming. Yes. Do you guys have a plan? So it's actually gonna be Jen Lubke also. Oh, Jen's coming too, that's right, yeah. Jen. When you say coming, you're saying coming to Unbound. Yeah, sorry. I'm <laughs> Christy's just like all Unbound right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it'll be three of us. Um, and then Nicola, of course, will be there. Um, my parents are actually going to come out and oh, fun. help out a little bit where they can. Um, Do they want to volunteer? Christy needs volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell them to reach out. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then, Her dad um, would be a good volunteer, Christy. <laughs> would, like tell some people what to do. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then Natalia, Natalia's boyfriend uh, will be there as well. So we'll have we'll have a pretty good group going out there, a nice little support crew. Um, so yeah, it'll. In terms of a plan, we have been kind of you know, kind of brainstorming for a little while now. Um, I feel like ever since we we had our first 
like team gravel camp back in was it February March we had one at a mini camp in February and then another one at the end of March in Tucson Arizona that's when we we really started kind of diving into you know the details here and there about you know how are we going to prepare what are we going to do like during the actual race um, because it is going to be the biggest race that all of us have ever done I mean the longest day on the bike for all of us hands down um so yeah, going into going into Unbound with a plan, I think is going to be essential. I mean, not just with like your race plan, but like, or like what pace you want to go at, but you know, your fueling plan, I feel like that's going to be key, you know, knowing like when to drink, how much to drink, um, eating, you know, like setting, setting up reminders for yourself about when to do all that stuff, I feel like is going to be crucial. Um, and then also aside from that, I think you know, just knowing what to do when you have a mechanical or a flat, I think that's going to be crucial too, because we all know what it's going to be like out there, you know, with those, those sharp flint rocks everywhere. So I, I mean, I'm almost counting on myself having at least one flat out there. So I feel like it's kind of inevitable to a degree. So it is so important to just, you know, have a plan and know what to do to fix a flat. Um, and that's something that we've all been practicing. Um, we practice it a lot at team camp. I've been practicing quite a bit at home as well. And then also knowing like tire choices, you know, pressure choices, that's going to be key as well. Um, thankfully we have a, an awesome sponsor called Kenda who we get all our tires from. It's what the team has used on the road for, for years. And, um, I just, I love their tires. I've never really had any issues with their tires. Um, and I've actually been racing a lot on their alluvium alluvium pro tires which i feel like it's great for the races i've been doing but i feel like going into unbound considering the type of terrain and the type of rocks i've heard about i feel like it's probably not going to be the best tire choice so i'm actually going to be going with um the flint ridge pro tires for both the front and the rear <laughs> yeah i was gonna say you should be on the flint ridge <laughs> so. yeah no question i mean i feel like those those tires are like specifically for unbound yeah. for that type of terrain so and I'm I'm like 95% sure that Natalia is going to go with that as well and Jen's probably probably going to go with that too actually she she is going to go with that too so I think that's just the most solid solid tire choice for unbound um, and then also tire pressure I mean I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of the tire pressure I like to run so yeah probably keep it somewhere between 30, 35 PSI. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of things to plan for. It's a lot of things to think about. Um, it's a little overwhelming sometimes because there is so much you have to remember and plan for. Uh, but at the same time, I know it's going to be a fun experience. And well, you guys have been doing the work. It's been fun to watch. And I mean, you're, you're, you're ready. So then it's just about lining up at the start and executing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, I feel like the fitness is there. I mean, everything's been, been great leading up to it. So I think it's just going to come down to knowing exactly what to do when, in case certain things happen, you know, like mishaps, um, yeah, technicals, whatever may happen out there. Cause it's a long race. It's a long day. So, I mean, anything can happen. Um, so I think it's just going to come down to who's the most prepared when, you know, the unexpected happens. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you did, what was the race you did where it was, um, absolutely miserable? Um, true grit, true grit gravel. Yes. Utah, St. George, Utah. 
that was uh, the hardest race I've ever done. <laughs> Just because of the, the, the weather. I mean, like I've never raced in weather like that before with, you know, 25 to 35 degrees the whole time. And then, you know, rain, rain before the start through like the first part of the race. And then that transitioning into a blizzard, like a literal snowstorm. Oh I know it was insane. <laughs> and then like being so far out, like at the top of these mountains and having to descend from the top of those mountains down, like back down into the valley. It was just, it was, it was, I mean, I couldn't feel anything in my body for pretty much the entirety of the race until like the last four miles when the sun actually started popping out. <laughs> But yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it was only an 80 mile race. So it, technically it wasn't like the longest race I've ever done, but uh, I mean, time-wise it was the longest and it, it kind of felt like the longest I'd ever done because. No, that's a, that's a insane mental challenge for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how Unbound compares in terms of the mental challenge aspect. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be, you know, I think you got some great training in with that race. I think I even might have talked texted Natalia after that and was like, yeah, she's gonna be ready. <laughs> she did that. <laughs> oh, you mean text Nicola? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Nicola. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was uh yeah, very much a character building race for me, I would say. Um I think, were, I think there were like just over a hundred starters and then only like 27 of us finish, myself included, and then only one other woman finished as well. And yeah, so I think I was, I think I was like sixth or seventh overall, but like pretty much from like a quarter of the way into the race, I never saw anybody. Anybody else. I was just like pretty much soloing it out there for most It was a, another aspect that made it hard. I mean, it's always easier when you're with other people, you know, suffering together, but when you're- still Unless they start talking about quitting. And then you just have to get away from them. <laughs> a lot of people were doing that in like the first 20 to 25 miles. People were like, oh, I'm going to pull off up here. I can't do this anymore. Like, this is just, this is like a safety hazard. Like I'm getting hypothermia. Like I can't do it. Like people were stopping left and right, you know, just quitting, having people, calling people to come out and pick them up. Cause it was just the craziest conditions. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to snow in Kansas. So you're probably good. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> you probably just jinxed us, Catherine. <laughs> if it snows, we should all just pack it up and go back to our house. <laughs> <laughs> Something is really... <laughs> what is the longest distance you, you will have ridden before this 200 mile race? Uh, 115 miles at team camp. We did a uh, that was actually really fun. That was back in late March when we were in Tucson, Arizona. Um, climbed up the uh, the backside of Mount Lemmon on our gravel bikes. Um, so yeah, the whole pretty much the whole climb up the backside of Lemmon. I forget how many how many thousands of feet we climbed. I think it was ten or eleven thousand for the whole day. But the majority of the the climbing was just going up the backside of Lemmon, um, which is literally all on gravel, like just dirt and gravel. Um, and then we just climbed all the way to the top, went up to the radio towers and then went all the way down back to our team house. So that was a really fun day. And it was a good, it was a good day to practice fueling too. Fueling yeah. and, you know, eating, drinking, all that fun stuff. But 
Yeah, that, that's I, I want to do that ride so bad. I need to do that next time I'm down that area. So. Oh yeah, it's a it's a must do for sure. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you go pretty far out though before you start climbing up Lemon. Um, yeah, there's not much out there for a while <laughs> until you kind of start going up Lemon, and then there's like campsites here and there. But yeah, that was one of the most epic days on the bike ever. Well, and then you guys went down and did Patagonia and had the wind down there. Mm -hmm. Yep, we rode the Spirit 100 World, uh, Spirit 100 course. Um, so that was, yeah, it was the windiest, uh, the heaviest winds I've ever experienced on the bike. I think the winds were like 30 to 40 miles an hour upwards of that. So one of us actually got knocked off our bike. Um, one of my teammates. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of scary. So she wiped out pretty hard just because it was just such a strong crosswind. It just kind of like, it like hit her wheel and then her wheel just like swiped out from under her just like that. So I almost wiped out so many times too because the winds were so strong because you're in this huge open valley coming back. I mean, going out, we didn't have as much because of the, the, the direction of the winds. But yeah, coming back through the valley, it was just... Yeah, the winds were just crazy strong and mostly like uh, cross headwinds, which is even more brutal <laughs> than tailwinds. <laughs> That's probably good practice for Kansas. It, it, it is. It's, it's interesting because that region very much reminds me of Kansas, um, <clears throat> the gravel and the winds. Very open. Um, yeah, lots of exposure. So, yeah. It was good, good training. Yes. <laughs> well, I also wanted to ask you about um, just your Native American roots. I uh, saw when I Googled you as well, it, that you are, I think the first female Native American cyclist or the first Native American pro cyclist. Is that, or am I completely wrong? You could be. Uh, so I believe I, I am the first professional Native American or female Native American uh, cyclist, I guess you could say. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the first Native American professional cyclist. Um, of course, there's my brother, and then there's also. Um, You're older than him, so you went pro before him, right? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. I am older. Um, but there is uh, another guy who's also Oneida. So I'm actually part of the Oneida tribe of Indians in Wisconsin. and. Um, there's an, uh, a guy who's also from Oneida who actually lives in Oneida, Wisconsin. His name's Cole House. And, um, he actually raced professionally on the road for, I believe team BMC, like the, the professional BMC team on the road, like years ago. Um, and he's actually a bit older than me. So I guess he, he could probably say he's the first, um, but yeah, he actually does a lot of mountain biking now. So he's an elite mountain biker. Um, I know he's won like the fat tire national championships a couple times. Um, so yeah, he's another really, uh, really, really talented Native American professional cyclist, I would say. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I noticed like there's been a trend, which is I think an important trend for people to acknowledge the lands that we're, we're riding on, especially gravel, because we do ride on, you know, outside of cities more. I do know that basically everything in the United States native was a native lands at one point, but um, like, 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and just kind of how we can celebrate the Native history and kind of a history that we haven't done a really good job in our country celebrating in the past. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's, I feel like it's, it's so important to just, you know, acknowledge and, you know, just if you're doing a race and the race just so happens or race or event or whatever it may be, even if you're just, you're out doing your own thing, your own ride, and you happen to be passing through native lands, I feel like it's just so important to just kind of acknowledge the fact that you are on native tribal lands and just, you know, be very respectful of, you know, the fact that you are on tribal lands. Um, yeah, I mean, going, I guess, like in races I've done in the past, you know, like True Grit, um, I forget which lands we passed through. I think there were two different, there were two different um, areas on the course where we, where we passed through tribal lands. And I think it was two different tribal lands. I think one of them was the Paiute um, from the Paiute nation. And I do, I do remember crossing through those areas and then just thinking to myself, you know, like it's, it's, it's something that, you know, with me having that native background, I feel like it's always important to just acknowledge the fact that you are going through these tribal lands and, you know, just, you know, being respectful um, for me. I feel like during that true get race, I feel like I definitely had like some of my, my native ancestors watching over me, <laughs> like, I feel like there were there were so many things during that race that could have gone wrong and um you know during those during those points where I was passing through those tribal lands it just kind of served as a good reminder that um you know I do have my ancestors watching over me and it was just like yeah it was almost like a spiritual experience I feel like you know like there were so many points where I wanted to just quit and give up during that race and I feel like you know, it took a lot of like personal inner strength, like mental strength to just keep pushing through. But I feel like I also had like my own ancestors watching over me and kind of helping me push me through. Um, so for that reason, I feel like it was definitely a very spiritual experience. And also the fact we were passing through those tribal lands, it kind of just served as a good reminder that, you know, there are people who are watching over me. And, you know, yeah, I feel like I don't know without without those reminders, I, I don't know if I would have been able to keep pushing. <laughs> that's really, that's cool. Um, do you, I, this is going to show my ignorance because I'm like, I know just a tiny bit, but this, in the native culture, land is more than like, this was our land, right? Like the land is considered sacred mm -hmm. in many ways. And yeah. I would love like for you just to share a little bit about that because it's like it's stolen lands but also the land was considered very sacred to the tribes yeah very sacred in the fact that i mean a lot of their a lot of their people like their family members relatives friends um are buried on the same land that they live on so i feel like that is one of the main big reasons that they consider the land so sacred um and then also of course the fact that pretty much across all different tribal um, heritages, I feel like, because every tribe is a little bit different in their cultures, but I feel like it's pretty similar across all tribes, the fact that they consider the land sacred, like they kind of consider themselves one with the land, like like they, they consider like mother, mother nature, mother, mother earth, like their life source, like the direct life source. And 
everything kind of has like a living spirit to it, whether it's a plant, like a tree, um, any, any kind of plant, pretty much there's a belief that there is this spiritual level to it. So because of that, everything is kind of considered within that sacred realm. Um, so that is, that is a big reason why um, they consider their land sacred or pretty much all land sacred, but particularly tribal lands. Well, and you had some pretty powerful posts on the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls day <clears throat> that was really powerful. Um, it was, it was amazing to see. I mean, it's such, it's not amazing because it's such a sad story in and of itself, but, but being able to see you use your platform to raise the awareness of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So MMIWG in short for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, this crisis that's happening has been happening for so long. And it's something that I feel like it's almost shocking that not more people know about. I mean, even myself included, like it's not, it's, this is a crisis that um, I didn't even really know a whole lot about before last year. Um, and I feel like a big part of the reason why I didn't know much about it before and why I feel like the majority of people in North America aren't aware that this is happening is because it's not portrayed in the media as much as it should be, which is very sad because it's such a, it's such, it's such a real issue. And it's something that's happening within our own country, both the US well, and Canada. Um, so pretty much all across North America, this is happening. And um, it's just something that I try and spread awareness about as much as possible because of the fact that not many people know about this. And really the first step in, you know, helping prevent this crisis from getting worse is just, you know, spreading awareness. Um, so yeah, that's really just the first step I feel like in helping this crisis. Um, but um, aside from that, I mean, so my, my fiance and I actually started this foundation called the Dreamcatcher Foundation a couple of years ago. Um, my fiance being a professional football player and then with myself being a professional cyclist and both being native professional athletes, um, Ely, my fiance is actually a member of the Ojibwe nation or um, in other words, more specifically, the Doki's First Nation, um, which is actually in Southeastern Canada in Ontario. So with both of us being professional Native athletes, we just both feel a really strong inclination to give back to Native communities in any way we can. And we both felt like the best way for us to do that was to start this foundation together, which was a couple years ago when this all kind of came together. So with the help of his, his football agents and with um, some other people from this organi organization called Athletes and Causes, we were able to start this foundation. And pretty much the main, the main goal of the foundation is to provide sports camps for Native youth. Um, of course, free, easily accessible sports camps for Native youth. And um, we were actually able to host our first ever camp, not last summer, but the summer before last in 2019 in Ely's hometown of Ottawa, Ontario. And it was an awesome turnout. I think we had close to 150 kids show up. So, and that was actually, it was a football only camp, but in the future we would like to um, incorporate a cycling camp or a cycling and football camp combined. Um, so I could be a little bit more involved as well on the cycling end, but yeah. It's an interesting combination. combination. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a sports very opposite ends of the spectrum but 
yeah, so we weren't able to host a camp last year, but hopefully next year, um, next summer would be when our second annual camp would take place. So we're kind of in the beginning works of brainstorming um, specifics for that, like in terms of location, um, how we want to like structure the camp, um, how many kids we want to have come out. Um, we would ideally like to have it on or near reservation, either the United Reservation where a lot of my family is from or um, up in Canada near Ely's Reservation where a lot of his family is from. So yeah, we still got to decide on where our next one's going to be. And, um, we're excited for it. But That's awesome. Aside, aside from that, the foundation also aims to shed light on the MMIWG crisis that's currently happening. So that's the other kind of half of what the foundation is all about is just trying to spread awareness about the crisis and, you know, either through social media, just word of mouth. Um, we have our Dreamcatcher Foundation on Instagram, like our own Instagram page for it that we pretty much most of it, most of the posts that we make are about MMIWG just so we can help spread the word about it as much as possible. And then both, both Ely and I's social media platforms, we try and share posts about it as much as we can as well. So yeah, we really just strive to do all we can to, to help raise awareness about this crisis. And um, just a couple of statistics for, for a lot of people who I'm sure have no idea is um, Native women are actually uh, 10 times more likely to be murdered compared to other Americans in North America or in the US, which is a pretty shocking rate if you if you really look at that um it's just totally it's it's so sad and yeah it's just a terrible terrible statistic and then um native women between the ages of 10 and 24 they're like the third leading cause of death for women between the ages of 10 and 24 um is homicide so that's another very sad statistic among the native women population and yeah, I just, after hearing about those statistics, when I first learned about them last year, it just really opened my eyes to this, this whole world of, you know, what so many Native women are going through um, across the country. And yeah, it's just, a lot of people ask me why, like, it's so bad, like, why these numbers are so high. And I feel like a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, the fact that a lot of these reservations are in rural areas and they have their own like sovereign tribal police forces or tribal justice systems and they don't like you know outside police forces or outside justice systems can't come in and help these tribal systems uh, or tribal police forces you know solve these cases which many of these cases actually go unsolved um so the fact that there's kind of like this disconnect in between you know outside forces and then tribal forces it just makes this this issue so much harder to deal with because of the laws that are in place um you know if an outside person comes uh from outside of tribal lands comes onto tribal lands and commits a crime and then they leave the tribal lands the tribal forces can't go off tribal lands to catch that person bring them back to the tribe and you know convict them because they're not from those tribal lands. So any non-Indian person can come into these tribal lands, commit a crime, leave, and have like little to no, you know, repercussions from it. So that's a huge, 
I feel like that's a huge factor in, in terms of why um, these cases don't get solved, um, which is so sad. But um, yeah, I think, I think there have been a couple, um, a couple acts made within the last several months. So Savannah's act and then the Not Invisible Act kind of, you know, helping the situation kind of, you know, increasing the, the, the amount of um, power or the amount of communication between outside justice forces and tribal forces. So that's kind of one step in the right direction. So there can, so in the future, I do see there being more communication and more action going on more, you know, like, you know, just a collective, I, I don't know how to word it, but just more help coming in from the outside, outside of these, these tribal justice systems to come in and help solve these crimes, help solve and prevent these crimes from happening. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a very complicated system and the laws are all super complicated, but yeah, you kind of get the gist of part of the reason why these numbers are so bad. Well, and it makes it even more important to continue to use your platforms to raise the awareness because that's the only way it's going to change. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if they're, if they're that, I don't want to say archaic, but complicated and you know, obviously not talking to each other and communicating and working together, that's going to make it twice as hard. Um, exactly. so. And the fact that so many of these tribes within the U.S. are in such rural areas, I mean, that's another huge factor. And then there is another factor actually where um, we do see a pretty high correlation between where these crimes are happening and, um, you know, man camps. So like, um, oil, oil camps, you know, where, where a lot of these pipeline man camps are, um, which uh, you'd be surprised how many of these extraction site man camps are on or near native reservations. And you look at, you look at the correlation between where these crimes are happening and where, where these, these camps are located. And it's actually surprisingly pretty high. So I feel like that is another, um, factor contributing to, um, why this is happening, which is, it's, I, I honestly think a lot of it does have to do with human trafficking. And I know it's, it's not totally established that that's part of the reason, but I feel like it probably is. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I think like we've been talking a lot this year about the systematic problems that have led to a lot of things that we've seen. But when you look at like the systematic issues that have led to things that are happening in the Native American community and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's easy for us to go, well, that was way before my time. Like, that's not my problem. But realizing it was like our expansion that created these things. And so the more we can bring awareness and honor the lands that we ride on and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I think it really just comes down to, you know, it just being respectful, you know, you know, being informed of, you know, the lands that you are on and yeah, just acknowledging, acknowledging and respecting. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. That was heavy. <laughs> I know. I feel like we need to end on like something light. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Well, I'm just, yeah, it, you just want to make it better. Like that's the bottom line. 
it's not, and it just takes time. It's not something that'll get better, you know, overnight. Right. I mean, really, like I said before, the first step is just raising awareness. You know, I just, I try and um, share what I know about it to as many people as I can, you know, whether it's through podcasts like this or just, you know, talking with people, you know, in, in conversation. I mean, it's also not exactly a topic that just will, you know, naturally comes up. conversation. <laughs> it is a very deep subject and it can be kind of, it's, it's a sensitive subject too. So yeah, but it is at the same time, it is something that it is important to talk about and, you know, the first step in, in helping the whole situation is just raising awareness. So. So is that the best thing that people, like if people are listening, they're like, what can I do? Like, I can't go onto tribal lands and, and do something. <laughs> what can I do to help? What would you say? Obviously they could give to your foundation. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not just our foundation. I mean, there's so many different foundations out there who, you know, try and try and raise awareness um, of this issue as well. And also other foundations who actually will try to raise money for families of these, these missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, and a lot of these families, there's, there's so many uh, native families out there who are still trying to, to find their missing, their missing relatives. So um, there is a lot of, there's a lot of foundations out there you can donate to. You can also donate to our foundation, um, which don't, the donations from, to our foundation we use for our future camps that we're planning, as well as um, uh, funding for these families who are suffering from their, their missing or murdered relative. Um, and yeah, I mean, so it's, it's just, it's sad because so many of these, these families of these women who go, who go missing, they actually end up being the only ones who are able to search for them because a lot of the times these these tribes they don't really have the manpower like the police manpower to go out and, and look for these women and or just the the enough resources to go out and try and solve these crimes so it's just it's a very sad thing and um yeah obviously donations help spreading awareness i feel like is the most important thing i feel like so yeah those are just a couple things you can do for sure. Well, I'm just going to wonder then after after that, and and um, obviously we'll link to to your foundation and whatnot in the show notes when we're done with this. But um, to lighten it up, uh, what's your race breakfast going to be? <laughs> um, I'll probably have some eggs. I'll have some eggs on toast, some avocado. Um, yeah, that's kind of like one of my go-to pre-race breakfasts. I feel like, I don't know. I don't know if, I'll, if I want to change it up, but I feel like that's going to be my go-to. <laughs> nothing new on race day. No, nothing. That's one of the rules. Nothing new on race day. <laughs> what, what time do you have this breakfast? Like how much earlier than the race are you going to be up? Oh, it starts at what? Like 5.30? 5.30 a.m.? 6? The race starts at 6, but... But yeah, you'll be down there before that. So um, yeah, I'll probably eat maybe a couple hours before the race start. So four, four, four. Not lots of sleeping. <laughs> I'll just go to bed really early the night before, or try to, and then get up and eat right after I get up. And yeah, have like an hour and a half, two hours before. And yeah, that's kind of like what I always do before races. Try and eat at least you know an hour forty-five to two hours before. Yeah, so that's a good amount of time because I know I feel like 
when we started Unbound, I feel like it's going to be a pretty fast start considering yeah. be there and how many people are going to be there. So I feel like, yeah, I'll definitely want my breakfast to be digested. <laughs> also get the system moving so that maybe you can go poop before you. <laughs> Listen, I did race triathlon for years. This is all you think about before a long distance race. <laughs> Yeah, I need plenty of time to do all of that. <laughs> all of that, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us today. It was, this was one I was really looking forward to, to chatting with you and, and I'm excited to have you out here and um, see how you do. And it's so great to learn more about your history and everything you're doing. Yeah, oh, I think you're gonna- Thank you so you're much. You're gonna do uh, less. Of course, of course. We're, I think you're going to do lots to bring awareness and, you know, being an Olympian more heart. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to follow you, is Instagram the best place? You're just, uh, yeah. Actually, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to give a, a nice little shout out to my coach for helping me prep for this race. Cause yeah, I, I would not know exactly how to prep for something like this long, um, this kind of an event. And I feel like my coach, Kristen Armstrong, has just been super key and instrumental in, in helping me, um, you know, just fully prep for this. So, yeah, shout out to her. She's been awesome through this whole- She knows her shit. <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. Here we might be able to get her on gravel eventually, so. Yeah, cool. Well, thank awesome. you so much, Dana. We, we will see you in a few weeks at Unbound. Yeah. Yeah, two weeks. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.